Hello, City First Church. We are so glad that each and every one of you are with us today. I want to take a moment and welcome all of our locations, our church online family. We're so glad that you're with us. Our Cape Coral family, we're coming for your weather. We're having heat waves in Rockford. Of course, everybody at God Behind Bars, our friends at Dixon and Hardy Correctional Center, you're amazing. We believe in you. And of course, everybody right here with our Spring Creek and Stateline location, would you give yourselves a huge round of applause? We're giving everybody a round of applause today. Hey, maybe you're at home watching by yourself. We think that you are amazing too, or watching with a watch party. I hope you're cheering each other on as well. But we love our ever-growing City First Church family. And we're in a series right now called Iconic. And it's been a phenomenal series so far. If you're just jumping in, we're so glad that you're here. You know, you may even want to go back and binge watch the rest of the series because it's just been that good. A quick summary is that just as an icon represents something greater than itself, as Christ followers, we're called to be icons representing Jesus in this world. Now, maybe you're joining us and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, and we want you to know that you're in the right place. Every single person is welcome here at City First Church. And no matter where you're at in your faith journey, if you've been following God for a long time, or maybe you're brand new to this whole thing, I believe that today's topic is going to be helpful and challenging in the best way possible for each and every one of us. And so far in this series, we've talked about relationships. We've talked about forgiveness. Last week, Pastor Jeremy talked about being holy. And we learned that holy is more than just a Justin Bieber song, but it's something that's applicable to each and every one of our lives. Amazing message. And this week, we're going to be covering the topic of compassion. Can everybody say compassion? Compassion. Now, when Pastor Jeremy first asked me to speak this week on this topic, I had to pause for a moment, and I kind of questioned. Okay, Pastor Jer, are you asking me to talk about compassion because you think that I am compassionate? Or are you asking me to talk about compassion because you think I need to study compassion and become more compassionate? And he never really gave me an answer on that question. But as we look in the Bible, we see that compassion is a characteristic of our God. We see it in the Old Testament. There's so many verses that talk about how God is a compassionate God. And then in the New Testament, we see that compassion is all over Jesus's ministry when he walked here on earth. And I want to read a couple verses for us about compassion just to get our heads and our hearts wrapped around it. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. Or if you haven't downloaded the City First Church app yet, I encourage you to do that. It has lots of great resources in there, including our City First Church notes that correlate with every Sunday. So here we go, Isaiah 30, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. We're going to read one more from the Old Testament, Psalm 86, 15. And it says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that this is a God that we serve, a God who is compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And now that we've read a few verses from the Old Testament, I want us to look at the New Testament. And we're going to look at a few verses that talk about Jesus. And a lot of times, and I want us to notice this, before Jesus performs a miracle, 
he usually has compassion before he does a miracle because compassion precedes the miracle because you can't have compassion without action. Compassion without action, it's really just a feeling then. It's just like, I feel bad for you, but I'm gonna do nothing about it. Compassion, however, moves us into action for someone else's betterment. Compassion and action always go together. So here's a verse from Matthew 14, 14. Jesus had compassion on them, and then he healed the sick. Here's another one from Matthew 20. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Okay, so now we're gonna go to the book of Mark chapter six, and we're gonna read a couple of verses together. Now, I really want you to focus in on this because these are gonna be our anchor verses, our anchor story for the rest of our time together. All three hours that we have left. I'm just kidding, 30 minutes, okay? You might already be getting hungry. So, but this is what it says in Mark chapter six, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. That's a bad day, we don't have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Jesus didn't have social media. It wasn't leaked out where he was gonna be at. He wasn't a paid influencer, yet people were flocking to be near Jesus. It goes on to say, when he went ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus responded and said, you give them something to eat. Now the verses right after what we just read talk about how Jesus and his disciples performed the miracle where they had a few loaves of bread, a couple of fish, they prayed over it, it multiplied, and it fed thousands of people. It's a famous story in the Bible. But before we dive into what we just read, I wanna give us a little bit of context as to what Jesus and his disciples were experiencing when we picked up and started reading on Mark chapter six, verse 30. See, just a couple verses beforehand, we read some really interesting and important information about Jesus and his disciples. It talks about how Jesus and his disciples went to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, and they went to go and to teach and to heal people, but the people there rejected them. Now, even though it's Jesus, that still would be very discouraging to be rejected in your hometown. Now, compounded with this feeling of rejection that Jesus and his disciples just experienced, in verse 27, we read about how a really important person to Jesus, it was a partner in ministry, someone that went before him to prepare the way, and not just a friend and a person that he linked arms with, but it was a relative, John the Baptist. He was not just killed, he didn't just die, he was beheaded just three verses earlier in that same chapter of Mark chapter six. So this is probably why Jesus is saying, hey guys, let's get away, let's get some rest. We've been through a lot, and yet the crowds are flocking to Jesus, so much so that they didn't even have time to eat. And so you have Jesus and the disciples who are all heartbroken about John the Baptist. They're discouraged about their time in Nazareth. They've been working hard, doing ministry. They were tired. They had experienced great disappointment. They had some major setbacks and loss. 
And yet in the midst of disappointments and setbacks, they still had demands and needs. Maybe you can relate. And yet they have crowds of people around them. They're in need, and I can imagine the tension that they're feeling. And what we see unfold in this story is the different approaches to the people who are in need around them. Two responses to need amidst personal challenges. And the two responses that we see, the two approaches are Jesus' way and the disciples' way. The crowds were in need and they were hungry. And what did the disciples say? Quote, send them away. We're done with them. Dismiss them. Let them go and feed themselves. We're tired. We don't want to be inconvenienced any further than we already have been. The disciples often saw the crowds as work and as constant demands, especially at a time like this, when their well-deserved rest was interrupted by the multitude. How many of you do not like to be interrupted? You're like, I don't want to be interrupted. That was how the disciples felt as well. But Jesus saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion because each face reflected a need. Each face in the crowd reflected a hurt. Each face in the crowd reflected a hunger or a loss or a disappointment. And being a thoroughly other centered person, Jesus cared more about the needs of someone else than he cared about his own needs. Summing it up, Jesus was other centered when the disciples were self centered. And doesn't that describe us? Jesus' way is other centered, our way is self centered centered, just like the disciples. We don't even mean to be that way, but it's like our default. I remember a couple months ago, I got a text message from a friend and they were like, hey Lisa, I wanted to let you know I came down with COVID-19. Now I wish that my first response was like, I'm praying for healing, what do you need? But my first response was, when was the last time I was around them and am I okay? Am I all good? And I kind of had a course correct, right? My first response was self-centered. My second response was other-centered. And our goal as Christ followers, stop judging me, I feel your judgment. And our goal as Christ followers is to close that gap between other-centered and self-centered, to move further away from self-centered way of doing things and move closer to the Jesus way of doing things, to be others-centered. And to truly be compassionate means we care more about others' needs than we care about our own needs. In your workplace, you care more about your coworkers' needs. Yes, that coworker, that Karen, you care more about their needs than you care about your own needs. In your home, you care more about your spouse's needs or your roommate's needs than you care about your own needs. In your neighborhood, you care more about your neighbor's needs than your own needs. This is the Jesus way. And Jesus shows us in Mark chapter six by example that compassion comes with a cost. Jesus was tired. He had experienced loss. He'd been working so hard that Mark the author notes, he didn't have time to eat. Jesus was probably hangry, right? He was at a place of depletion, and yet he had compassion. To put other people's needs above our own is going to come at a cost. And Jesus modeled for us, not only does it come at a cost, but compassion is not always convenient. It was not convenient 
to make himself available to the crowds. It was not convenient to teach the crowds. It was not convenient to feed the crowds. To put others' needs above your own will not be convenient, but it is the Jesus way. And I believe that there are a lot of false forms of compassion in our world today or misconceptions about compassion, right? Compassion is not having sympathy for someone. Compassion is not feeling bad for someone and then doing nothing about it. Compassion is not having pity for someone. Compassion is not simply double-tapping an image on social media. Compassion is not self-centered. Now, as many of you may know, I'm a mama. I have two amazing boys. Their names are Nash and Ryder. Nash is five, Ryder is three. You can see their photo right here, and you're like, oh, these perfect angels. They're always so well-behaved. They're not, okay? Pray for me. But they're amazing boys, and they're so much fun. Five years old, three years old. And the other day, I walked into the room as the scene was unfolding between my angel children, where Nash, the oldest, was playing with a toy, and Ryder, the youngest, in like savage style, just reaches over and he grabs that toy right out of his brother's hand. So Nash naturally responds with compassion. No, he doesn't. Nash naturally responds. He just pulls back his elbow and he punches his brother so hard. And Ryder, why are you clapping? No, we're not promoting the violence. That's like a younger brother, older brother. Okay, so he punches his little brother so hard. And so Ryder is really tough. And so Ryder starts crying. And so if Ryder's crying, I know he got hit hard. So I'm walking in, seeing this all unfold, and I, I know why Ryder's crying. He just got punched. But Nash is crying too. So I go over to Nash, and I'm like, Nash, buddy, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And Nash was like, I'm crying because Ryder stole my toy, and I'm crying because I feel bad. And I'm thinking, yes, Lord. My five-year-old is feeling conviction from you. I've prayed for this. But no, Nash goes on to say, I feel bad for me. I feel bad for me, Mom. I feel bad for me because Ryder stole my toy, and so I feel bad for me. Nash had pity for himself after he just clocked his brother. That's not compassion. And I'm trying to teach my kids about compassion, and how many of you know that parenting is hard work, right? Being a parent is hard work. Being a mom is hard work. Many of you know that because you are a mama, or maybe you have a mama, or you have the role of a mama, or you know a mama, or you're married to a mama, and the one thing that doesn't take long to learn about mamas is you do not mess with a mama. As nice and kind as a lady may seem, if they turn on mama bear mode, watch out, because they are about to go crazy on you. Have you heard the stories of moms who have summoned a supernatural strength when their child was in danger? You've seen it on the news. We've seen these like small little women dead lifting a car in the street, lifting it up to get their child out from underneath who was trapped. We see moms protecting their child that's in grave danger, defending them from bullies. Moms running into a house that is burning and on fire to save their child sacrificing their own life for their child's life. Now, dads are equally amazing, but what's so interesting is that moms are biologically wired up to respond to their children's needs. 
Moms would do anything for their child. They would endure childbirth. They would get up a million times a night to feed their crying babies. They can hear their baby cry anytime, at anywhere. And what's so interesting is in the book of Mark, chapter 6, the story that we were just reading, when we read how Jesus was moved with compassion, the Greek word for compassion, its original language, is splachnizma. Splachnizma. And that word means the feeling that moves one's guts or bowels. It is an intense feeling. A literal translation would read, Jesus was moved in his guts for them. When he looked out over the crowd, when it says he had compassion, he was moved in his guts for them. And by using this word, the author Mark makes a strong connection between Jesus and the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament, that we just read some verses about a few minutes ago. And the Hebrew word behind the term compassion in the Old Testament is rahamim. And it's a term closely related to the words womb and love. This word is strongly identified with motherhood. The feeling that Jesus experiences is similar to that of a mother responding to an infant's hunger or her child's cry. It is a compassion that inspires immediate action. Just how there is a mama bear mode that would do anything to protect their child, a mama bear mode that has the best interest for their child in mind at all times. The God of the universe has that same intense, moved in the guts, compassion for you and for me. He wants to see you succeed. He wants to see you win. He wants to see you protected, and he would do anything for you. He did everything for you and for me. And maybe you don't have any parents on this earth anymore. Maybe the ones that you do have just aren't really that good. But today my prayer is that you would know that you have a heavenly father who cares so deeply about you that he is moved with compassion into action on your behalf. He's moved on your behalf with compassion. We say this frequently at City First Church that God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to keep you where you are. Many times after Jesus was moved with compassion and he would heal someone or forgive them, he would say, go and sin no more. See, it's his compassion, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And if we really grasped his compassion, if we really embraced God's kindness, we would live differently. There are two critical things I want you to remember from today's talk. The first one is this, God has compassion for you. God has compassion for you. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, no matter how bad you think it is, what you haven't done, some of your biggest regrets. If you're feeling lonely or lost or discouraged, if you're in physical pain or you have a need or you have a heavy heart, God sees you and you are not alone. And he doesn't just see you and then do nothing about it. He is moved with compassion for you and for your situation and your circumstances and your greatest regrets and your biggest fears. God is with you. And when we really understand this, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, it begins to change things. God's compassion can soften the hardest heart. God's compassion comforts those who are mourning. It gives faith to us that we are not in this life alone. His compassion should give you a confidence that God is working with you and for you. Some of you are striving so hard to figure this whole thing out on your own, to grow that business, 
to provide for your family, to heal that relationship, to break free from that addiction, to earn God's approval, feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, like it all depends on you. I love what Jen said a couple weeks ago. She said, stop relying on you to change you. That's why we have God. And when we realize how God has moved with compassion for us, it should give us a confidence to rely on him for whatever it is that's going on in our lives. And when we realize how generous and compassion God is to us, we cannot help but respond with generous compassion towards other people. There's an amazing verse in 2 Corinthians, and I want to read it for us. Again, it'll be on the screen for you. But it's this, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. See, church, compassion has come to us, but it doesn't stay with us. It's been given to us, but we don't keep it to ourselves. The second thing I want you to remember from our time together today is that we are carriers of God's compassion. You are a carrier of God's compassion. You feel unqualified? Yes, you. You are a carrier of God's compassion. You've been following Jesus for a day. You still are a carrier of God's compassion. But here's the temptation for Christ followers. Once we've received God's compassion, we can get comfortable in his compassion. We think, oh, it's so nice that I've been forgiven and that God is kind to me and he's shown compassion to me. And then we get complacent with the compassion that we've received. But we are not meant to receive and stay idle in compassion. We have received compassion so that we can go into action and carry it into other people's lives. There is a hurting and broken world waiting for someone to carry God's compassion into their life. They are not waiting for someone to judge them, condemn them, guilt trip them, criticize them, cancel them, but to extend God's compassion and truth to them. There's a quote by an incredible individual who I have so much respect for. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he was a pastor and theologian who lived in Germany during the time of the Nazi regime. And he said this quote, and it sticks with me. It says, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or they don't do but more in which they suffer. See, we see that Jesus did this all the time in the New Testament. He saw beyond the surface level of people, and he saw straight to their suffer level. And we are so good in today's day and age. We're so good at the surface level stuff. How are you? I'm good. Meanwhile, your life is falling apart. You're posting that perfect picture on social media. Meanwhile, you are distressed. We are so good at the surface level, but as Christ followers, prayerfully, we need to look past the surface level and into the suffer level of which people are really at. And it's important for us to remember that everyone, everyone, everyone that you meet 
is suffering something. Everyone is suffering something. The person who looks like they've got it all together is suffering something. The person who tells you they're all good is suffering something. And sometimes our own self-centeredness can keep us from seeing the suffering around us. We can get so caught up in our way, the self-centered way, instead of the Jesus way, the other-centered way. And what else keeps us from seeing the suffering around us? Not just our way, but sometimes there's so much need around us that we don't know what to do about it. You know, there's actually a term that's called compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. See, we're so blasted with so much need on the news, on Facebook, on social media, with people in our own lives. It can almost become paralyzing, overwhelming, so familiar we almost don't even see it anymore. You know, my husband, Adam, he loves to go to the gym. Okay, it's therapeutic for him. Now, shopping on Amazon is therapeutic for me, right? Like, we all have our own things. His is a gym, that's fine, more power to him. But what I've realized is that he goes to the gym and he lifts weights so much that his hands have become calloused. And I think I actually noticed that his hands were calloused before he did. But because of the high frequency of which he lifts weights, his hands have become callous. And for us, as we have a high frequency of need passing by us every day, our hearts can unintentionally become callous to the needs around us. And don't you know that the enemy wants us, especially us as Christ followers, to be too distracted by the surface level stuff, to be too desensitized by all the need, that we would do nothing about what is happening around us in the world. And this is why we're doing this iconic series, because someone needs to lead the way in true compassion. And that someone is us, church. That someone is us as Christ followers, that we would be the ones who go into action for other people's betterment. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Lisa, I am just not that compassionate of a person. I don't know if you know me, but that's not my Enneagram number, and that's not my strength, and I just am not compassionate. It's actually a miracle that I'm here today, so compassion would be way out of my comfort zone. Well, I've got some good news for you, because when I first started following Jesus almost 20 years ago, I was a very selfish person, and God has changed me, not because of me, but because of who he is. And here's the good news that I've got for everybody. Don't pursue compassion. Pursue connection with God and compassion will become a byproduct. Don't mix up the order of importance here. As you pursue connection with God, compassion will begin to be evident in your life. What breaks his heart will break your heart. What Jesus cares about, you're gonna to begin to care about. The needs that he sees, you're gonna to begin to see. And here's why it's so important is why it's so important for us to really understand this message and this heartbeat of compassion. This is what it says in Proverbs 3, 27 through 28. Never walk away from someone who deserves help because your hand is God's hand for that person. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Never tell your neighbor to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. My hand is God's hand for that person. And how many of you know that there's a lot of people in this world that need the hand of God in their life? And your hand is God's hand. Now here's the thing with compassion. I think a lot of times we, we hear that in church, we read it in the Bible, and we think, oh, compassion, what an obligation. But what I've learned as I've been studying compassion is it's not an obligation, it's an opportunity.
Compassion is an opportunity for us to have our hand be God's hand to somebody who's in need. Now we love young adults and youth around this place at City First Church. They bring the energy and the life and I love that this place is a family church where all the youth and the young adults, you're amazing, we love you guys. I love you guys too. <laughs> but we've got some amazing individuals who are part of our City First Leadership College. And two of our amazing individuals, young men who are part of the Leadership College here, their names are Mark and Hector. And Mark and Hector are both from out of state. Hector's from Florida. Mark is from God's state of Ohio, happens to be my birthplace. Um, but they're both not from here. And a couple weeks ago, I was out of town, but I got a text message from somebody that Mark and Hector were in a pretty big car accident. They were driving and there was major impact on their car, so much so that both of the cars that were in the car crash uh, were totaled. So it was a pretty serious car accident. And uh, both of them ended up having to go to the hospital, get checked out. Praise God, they were okay. But I remember being far away from Rockford and getting that text, and I had that moved in the guts feeling of, I hope they're okay. I love these guys. They're amazing men who serve God in our church so well. And the staff here was taking good care of them. And a couple days later, I came home, and I was in the office, and I passed by Hector in the hallway. And I just said, Hector, I'm so glad that you're okay. When I saw photos of that car accident, I couldn't even imagine like everything that must have been going on in your mind, that must have been scary. And Hector was like, it was pretty frightening to be far away from home and to be in such a serious car accident, and it was intense. And he goes, but, and I actually, Hector said that he blacked out because of the impact of the car crash. And he said, and when I woke up, I you know, was feeling fearful and what's going on, but then all of a sudden, as I'm like waking up, I just see the beard. And I was like, you saw the beard? He was like, I saw the beard. And then I knew exactly who he was talking about, Pastor Corey Boldock. And we have his photo. He has an enviable beard for all the men in the place. But Hector said, I woke up and I saw the beard. And as soon as I saw Corey, all of my fear began to subside. All of my worry began to subside. I felt comforted. I knew I didn't have to figure it out by my own, on my own. I knew that somebody was with me. And I thought about that story. And I thought about the verse that we just read that my hand is God's hand to people. And in that moment, Corey was just driving down the road on his way to his next thing, had a long list of things he needed to accomplish that day. But when he saw the car accident, he was moved in his guts for what he saw so that he went into immediate action. That's what compassion is. And he pulled over. And in that moment, he might have just been like, I'm going to go. I'm going to see what's going on. But to Hector and Mark, Corey's hand was God's hand to those young men. And he brought comfort and he brought courage and he felt, brought confidence. And I just think about for Corey, man, that wasn't convenient for him to stop. And it probably did come at a cost for him, but he didn't look at it as an obligation, but an opportunity to extend compassion to some people who needed it. I bet that divine interruption was the best opportunity that he had to make a difference that day. And what an opportunity we had that our hand will be God's hand to somebody on this earth. But we have to remember, you can't have compassion without action. We gotta put our compassion into action. If Corey just would have drove by and said, oh, I feel bad for them, that's not compassion. Compassion is going into action. And as a church, 
We are committed to compassion on a local, national, and global level. You guys know this. We prioritize feeding the hungry, helping the homeless. We support those who are rescuing kids out of human trafficking. We empower missionaries who are caring for orphans and bringing the good news of Jesus to the far corners of the earth. But as much as we have a corporate responsibility for compassion, and as you give back to God through City First, you're a part of those corporate compassion efforts as well. But not only do we have responsibility for corporate compassion, but guys, we have a responsibility for personal compassion in your everyday life, in your walking around, going to school, going to work, driving around life. We have a responsibility and opportunity to be compassionate. And so this week, I want to commission you with something, okay? I want you to ask God to open up your eyes to see the needs around you. If you're like, I'm just not sure where to start, start by asking God, God, help me to have eyes that are wide open to see what you see, to see past the surface level and into the suffer level. What are the needs that people have? And then here's the big thing that I want everyone to do, okay? I don't want you to do nothing this week. I want you to do something. Just do something. Don't overcomplicate it. Just do something. See a need, meet a need. See a need, meet a need. Could be something very simple, but it could mean so much to somebody who's just saying, God, do you see me? And then all of a sudden, there you are. Your hand is God's hand for that person. A long time ago, Pastor Jeremy kind of adopted a quote from Pastor Andy Stanley, and he says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You might not be able to help everybody, but you can help somebody. Let's be people who put compassion into action. And would you imagine with me if everybody who calls City First Church home was passionate about the showing compassion. If we all lived out this whole idea of compassion, so many people would be impacted. People would say, what is going on? All these people are helping us. And we'd say, it's not us, it's Jesus, because Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And my hand is just God's hand in your life in this moment at this time. Compassion is not an obligation, it is an opportunity. It's been given generously to us and we want to give it away. So would you do something this week and let's be compassionate. I'd like to take a moment and pray over all of us that God would stir up that compassion inside of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. We thank you for your compassion that you've generously poured out to each and every one of us. And God, I pray that we would respond to your compassion by showing it to other people. I pray that you would help our eyes and our ears and our spirits to be wide awake to the needs around us. And then I pray that we would choose other-centered way instead of the self-centered way, and we would meet the needs that we see. God, help us to meet the needs of people around us so that they're pointed back to you. And if everybody would continue to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're with us today in person or online, and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. Jesus did the ultimate act of compassion, most manly act of compassion of all time when he died on a cross for you and for me. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, we wanna give you the opportunity today. And what that means is you're saying, I believe that Jesus is the son of God, died on the cross for my sins, rose again. His victory gives me victory in a brand new life. If that's you, would you go ahead? No one's looking around, just me, and just slip up your hand. Say, I want to make that decision to follow Jesus. If you're online, you're going to see a button that you can hit as well. I see your hand. Thank you for raising that. I see your hand over here. If anyone else wants to slip up their hand in person online, I see your hand. 
God's compassion is for you today. So without, so that nobody feels left out, let's all say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus, that he died for me, forgiving my sins, and gives me a brand new start. And in your name, amen. Can we give everybody who made that decision a huge round of applause? best decision that you will ever make. We are so proud of you and we love you City First Church.